Welcome to Pop and Lock. I'm Landry Ayers. Winter has come and gone, and after a disappointing end to the original Game of Thrones series, we found ourselves back in Westeros once more for a historical look at George R.R. Martin's world. Joining me today to discuss House of the Dragon, our deputy managing editor at Reason, our old friend Natalie Dowzicki. Can't get rid of me that fast. <laughs> as well as a first-time guest on the show, senior editor at Reason, Robbie Suave. Thanks for having me. I don't know about either of you, but I really had no intention of watching House of the Dragon when it was announced and really when it was promoted. You know, there are banners and ads all over these major cities talking about it. And I was like, I, they completely lost me at the end of Game of Thrones. I loved the first 95% of that series, watched it every week, was part of the sort of collective uh, experience of seeing it week to week and, and really enjoyed it and completely lost me at the end. So I had no desire to watch it. But after some urging from Natalie in particular here, I decided to give it a chance, and I was pleasantly surprised. And I think a lot of people were uh, had a, a pretty good reaction to this series. So what was it about House of the Dragon and how this first season unfolded that you think allowed for that redemption of this series and this world that they live in? What, what was different about this that allowed it to sort of stake its own claim in Westeros? They, um, they're just, they're trying harder. They're the people who making it are clearly actually trying in the way that they were trying. I, I totally agree with what you just said through the first 95% of Game of Thrones. Um, you know, what's so sad and so frustrating about that is they just, they just kind of stopped at the end. They stopped caring. They stopped writing, like, they used the same line of dialogue for Jon Snow over and over and over again in the last four episodes. He just he says literally the same thing. You can see a the, the, the fact that you can see a coffee cup on screen with left about to out say that. <laughs> is emblematic of the lack of care, to, attention to detail that they were paying by the end. This, which I, I think, I get the sense might not have happened if George R. R. Martin had been in, as involved in the Game of Thrones show as he is in this show. So he is so involved in House of the Dragon. Um, I think it's very funny to compare, like we like House of the Dragon is 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 advanced mode. Like they were in Game <laughs> of Thrones, they changed the name of one of the characters, um, uh, a the Theon's sister, right? She they uh, they changed her name from Osha in the series to Yara because they were con con uh, concerned that Osha was too similar a name to another character, to the wildling um, woman who takes care of Bran. Um, can you imagine now in House of the Dragons, not other, <laughs> like two characters have the same, there's Aegon, Aemond, another Aegon, a Daemon, Rhaenyra, Rhaenys, Rayla, like they're not even, they're just saying, keep up, keep up with us. That's what that, that's George R. 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 Martin's storytelling. And it's great. It works. It, it, it expects something of the audience and, uh, and it, it treats the audience like like a mature audience that is gonna is gonna try to want to figure out some of these things and it's it's just working it's just really working um, it, it got better and better as it went on and I'm 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 so happy to have that experience again that we were having I would I would say through the first six seasons of Game of Thrones at least I also think I was I was saying this to Landry earlier I think House of Dragon did a very very good job if you hadn't watched Game of Thrones which 
I mean, all of us have watched Game of Thrones and watched it as it came out. If you hadn't watched Game of Thrones, you still could like enjoy House of the Dragon and know what was going on and did not need the Game of Thrones context. And I do think House of the Dragon did a better job, at least in this first season, of like kind of laying the groundwork than uh, than Game of Thrones did because Game of Thrones in the very beginning I felt like it was a little cluster like a little clustery in terms of like trying to understand who was important who wasn't important and kind of like the the narratives that you needed to pay attention to and like I found far less people being confused about the first season of House of the Dragon than you did like during the first season of Game of Thrones where everyone was like, I'm not really sure who I should care about. And also they didn't, then they killed half the characters that I thought I was caring about. Um, which I mean, there's much, much more death to come, but, um, I think house of the dragon did a much better job of like not holding the hand of the audience because there's like the diehard Game of Thrones fans still like enjoyed it and didn't think it was like too, too loose. But I think it did a good job of like also being open to an audience that isn't like so immersed into the Game of Thrones universe, too, because I had like three or four friends that did not watch Game of Thrones that loved House of the Dragon. And now they want to go back and watch Game of uh, Game of Thrones. I was really interested in particular about the groundwork that they set, because there is a directorial choice that they make at the very, very beginning of this new series, which I don't remember happening frequently in Game of Thrones, if they did at all, which is the use of narration and voiceover, um, which kind of fixes the perspective and point of view for the story from the beginning. And it's, I believe it's Rhaenyra who's talking about her father, uh, Viserys, at all this time. And it kind of fixes the point of view and lets you know that you're seeing these events unfolding as she would have perceived them or even heard about them if she wasn't there. And I thought that was interesting because the original Game of Thrones novels obviously bounce between different uh, perspectives and in first person, whereas you get this detached third person viewing point when you watch the entire series, which creates a, a bit of a disconnect between the two, whereas this one it feels a little more cohesive and says that while we're going to get this sprawling story about this whole conflict and vying for succession and the throne and all of this, really Rhaenyra is where we start and is actually where we end the series. It's it's her perspective and her change that we start with and where we end. So I think this is a good opportunity to ask about her character because it's so central to the plot. Are we supposed to root for Rhaenyra? Should we in that way? Because she's a great character. She's very interesting and complex and has gone through a lot of things, especially when you juxtapose her with a character like Daenerys, which invites a lot of comparisons when looking at Game of Thrones. So what do we make of her character? Yeah, I. so I, I'm a big fan of Rhaenyra from I, from the source material. I should say I'm extremely familiar with the source material. And, and actually, I, the way the source material is structured is so different from the way the Game of Thrones source material is structured that uh, that actually speaks to some of the differences you were just getting at. Uh, because Game of Thrones, the books are, are a narrative. Like each chapter is from, there's one, it's from Arya's perspective, or it's from Bran's perspective, or it's from Sansa's perspective. Whereas the House of the Dragons um, source material is like a is a is a hist like a history textbook. 
So it's 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 from the perspective of a couple different historians who are like revisiting these events sometime later and recalling them. And those historians have their biases and they have disagreements about how the events happened. So and and, and the, the show has handled that very smartly. Like, for instance, the, the fire at Heron Hall where um, Rhaenyra's um, lover, Harwin Strong, dies, and also the Hand of the King, Lionel Strong. So in the source material, historians don't know what caused that event. So some people speculate that, yes, Larys Strong, the vindictive, you know, disabled, scheming, younger brother did it. Or some people think it was just a natural occurrence, the Harrenhal's cursed. Some people think Viserys ordered it because he was annoyed by the shame brought to Rhaenyra. Um, in the source material, Lenor, uh, her Rhaenyra's, um, Rhaenyra's husband, who who uh, who leaves, is actually believed to be killed from the like the way that the parents would believe it. So they they added to a lot of um, they they put some ambiguity. So in those cases, they actually took out ambiguity because they showed you what actually happened. But then they they nod to like uh, like Rhaenyra and Daemon's first hookup that you know that night of awakening for Rhaenyra. In the source material, is that like there are rumors that happened. There are rumors it didn't happen. There are rumors the Christian Cole thing happened. There are rumors that didn't happen. And even the way they shot it made it kind of ambiguous, if you know what I mean. So I, I've loved their choices on all those lines um, uh, really well. But but overall, it, yes, Rhaenyra is a main character in this. The way she she was, I, I would say, you know, one of like four main characters from the source material. Um, you really do, you're set up to just kind of have to root for her, right? She's great. Um, I mean, I love her from the source material. I, I think my one complaint is I, I like to like ironically or in a contrarian way support characters. And it probably in the source material, it's a little bit more ambiguous that like there are good things about the greens and bad things about the greens. There are good things about the blacks and there are bad things about the blacks. In this, it's like, I don't know how anyone could be rooting for the green. Everyone's on <laughs> right near us. Like Damon's problematic behavior aside, like every everyone wants the, the, the uh, Rhaenyra faction to win. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I still, I kind of still love, I still love Damon because I think, like, <laughs> I think he's, I, and I know, I know they were trying really hard, especially in the, like, I want to say the first, like, five episodes to get us to, like, not like him. But I think his character is so interesting and complex. Like, I think there's a lot going on there. I think he is one of the characters that there's just so much more, like, nuance to his role. And also, like, gosh, what was the one episode that, like, he, I think he had one line in the whole episode, or one or two lines in the whole episode, and he was by far the best actor in that episode. Um, but I do, there. Uh, my one problem with Damon is I didn't, I wasn't like quite on the like crab feeder narrative. I was like, is this really necessary? Like, I know they needed to set up that like he went away and like fought for, for and that's why he like disappeared for so many years. But then he just like comes out of nowhere after like years of fighting and was like, yeah, now I'm going to win the battle just to like shove it to Viserys basically. Yeah, that, was <laughs> um, that was dumb. That that whole that whole plot line was a, like a little tenuous, I think. Um, also just didn't seem like incredibly relevant. Um, but I, there is, I don't know a single person that's like, yeah, I'm on team Allison. Because um, <laughs> I just... <laughs> Like, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, <laughs> Rhaenyra, well, they're setting us up to love Rhaenyra because then she's going to do all this crazy stuff and we're going to have to be like, damn, we were already on her wagon. So now, like. And I can root for bad people. Like, 
I by the end of Game of Thrones, I love Cersei. I I wanted her to win. I was like, one no, she's a modern ruler. She has separated church and state. She's done with all this nonsense. <laughs> she I I would I, it would be fitting if she just won. So I can support the bad people. I just don't I just don't feel that way at all about Allison's faction. Right. There's nothing. It, Allison doesn't have the like same type of charisma that someone like a Damon or a Cersei has. Like she, it, there is a, there's a certain level of status or it's almost vindictive the way that she acts out of it. And it seems kind of childish and like it doesn't have control. She doesn't get that type of like really a firm grasp on what her power is until much later in the series. Whereas someone like Cersei or Damon is, comes out of the gate and is like, I know who I am and what I'm capable of. And that confidence and self-assurance is alluring, even if it's coming from really dangerous people, which I think is another lesson that this show can sort of talk about for, you know, the the charisma of leaders and how we allow ourselves to slide into more authoritarian ways of doing things just because we like personalities, um, even if the actions that they take are less than savory at the best. I do think a, a weird part of Allison's character is that like she it's almost as if she's trying to come off as naive in some ways. And I say that because like I don't think I would not give her like the status of being like conniving like I would say like Cersei is. But like it's like I the scene I think it was in the last episode where she's like sitting with the she's sitting with the council and she's like acting surprised that they've been working like behind her back to try and get um, Aegon on the throne. And I'm like, wouldn't you have assumed this? Like, I was like, this seems silly that like, she was like, well, I was trying to do it in a way that was like more accepted. And I was like, of course, all like, of course, all these crazy dudes are like, no, we're going to do it this way. And this like, I like, I just don't, I think she is a little bit more naive. Like if you compare it to Cersei, certainly. Um, and it's like, I, I don't, She's like almost I, I wish she was more like conniving, honestly, like I wish she was more evil. <laughs> I mean, she wants to put her beautiful baby boy on the Iron Throne. She always has wanted to like that's her that's her motivation. Yeah, but he doesn't want that's it. That's an understandable <laughs> motivation. I, I mean, yeah. that's you know, from a historical or even real life perspective, right? People want their house to prosper, et cetera. And, and this is a opportunity and is, you know, animated, I guess, by the idea that you know, if you're looking for some legitimacy to what the Greens are doing, that yes, that uh, that Rhaenyra's children are not, you know, are not legitimate, are not actually Lenore Valarians or whatever. But the line that always gets talked about is like the people won't respect the leader if they're not truly the heir to the throne, or if Rhaenyra is named, even though Viserys has named her as his heir and will become queen that the the people won't respect her because she's a woman. And there's this, they bandy about this like fear of a, like a populist uprising where in reality, most of the like problems and fighting and what's going to prevent people from ruling effectively, at least in this era of Westeros, it seems is 
the people who are you know behind the scenes making everything happen the the people on the the council the hand the other lords and keeps across westeros whereas the the common people are kind of detached and don't really seem to care 100% they have to be herded into the dragon pit for the coronation actually the way their expressions are shot in that whole thing is so indicative which really they don't care. They can't they tell these people care. apart. They can't tell one, you know, blonde-haired uh, person from another. Like they <laughs> they have this, oh, a new king. That's nice. They probably don't know what the name of the current king is, which would which would track with what like the real, you know, comparative, I don't know, the the literacy rate of the 12th century or something, which is about what we're equivalent to according to George R. R. Martin. They don't the, the small the small folk they don't care at all. If there's going to be a rejection of Rhaenyra for whatever reason, it's going to be it's the, it would the, maybe the nobles were going to do it, but the people are so they care about the price of bread. You know, it's they're 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 inflation voters here. I mean, they don't have a vote. In that scene, there's like this funny. They like pan to the crowd a few times, and a few people are like looking over, like, "Oh, should we clap now?" Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, you're clapping. I'll clap too. Like, that's literally what that scene was like. I really did expect, like, Otto Hightower to pull a please clap at some point. <laughs> and it's like, hold the sign up. <laughs> one of the things I think Rhaenyra says it at one point, they're talking about, like, what's going to ruin House Targaryen early on in the series. And I think she says, like, the only thing that could tear it apart was itself. Um, and when you take a big picture, I guess it is the entire House of the Dragon, even though it, it breaks into factions and of all of these different houses because of all the marrying off and, uh, you know, people taking different holds and things like that. But what really is, do you think, is there one cause, uh, whether narratively or sort of in the structure of, of the world or within the Red Keep that caused this descent into chaos and conflict that we're obviously going to see in season two that everything is built up to is it this like slow crumbling of institutions that people are scared about with viserys you know being named king because of uh the 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 jaharis the first having to name the, the the contested succession and then him naming his daughter and not having a son and everyone trying to figure out who's going to come next is it this lack of constitutional rule that that you know they say like well the law is and they say well whatever the king says is law and then everything comes breaks at the point where Viserys dies and Alicent is just like well at the very end he told me this so it's about what the king says but only one person hears it but everybody goes with it anyway so is it that is it people scheming behind the scenes is it that none of this matters and they have lost the support of the people. What do you think is really at play here? And and what do you think that is trying to say about modern politics today? Because I think we can't talk about this without making some sort of link and, and why it's it's so resonant with audiences. I think it's I think it's dynastic and territorial. Um, I, I, Westeros has at, at this point um, even I would say probably even weaker um, uh, legal institutions than than the comparative time period, which is you know medieval uh, England, um, which at least has you know has the Magna Carta after uh, after King John, et cetera. This has this is really it's the king's word is the law, 
Um, the I guess the religious kind, the the church is a little bit of a check on the king. It doesn't seem like it's any more of a check than the medieval church was. It's comparable to that. I mean, yeah, we we see. I mean, I, I know from you know from reading or listening to what George R. R. Martin's inspirations are. You know, he's very inspired by the War of Ro the Roses, the Hundred Years' War, etc. In in uh, medieval England, even though his you know his his world is like the size of like South America, but he's it, it's the kind of English uh medieval history um which you know a lot of those those constant wars mostly fought of personalities mostly personality based um conflict that that you know one son fights another or that you have multiple marriages it's it's very it's very familiar in that way um uh and that's that's kind of what is happened i i think in the modern context, it shows you how easy that is to happen if you don't have strong institutions if you don't have um, if you don't have legal norms, you know, clear uh, checks on the the uh, the sovereign's authority, either either vis-a-vis -a, -vis a constitutional system or just some some kind of, uh, or, you know, even in the, the kind of absolutism sense where still there's, you know, the Leviathan, right? There's still some kind of consent from the governed being governed being given to the monarch. Um, like we're, we're pre we're before that. We're just and, and then but. The, a major difference being these forces have access to the to the equivalent of nuclear weaponry, um, and they are the only force that has them. They're they're you know the U.S. before the Soviets get these missiles, so no one can stand against like no one can oppose House Targaryen except other elements within House Targaryen. It's very interesting while they're doing the counting in that last episode. Damon's going, okay, we have we have this many dragons, they have this many dragons, and we would probably win, but like every, because we have mo literally more dragons, but they have the biggest dragon, and like everything will be set on fire and everyone will die if we do this. I do think too, what's, what's interesting, I was talking about this with someone recently, but if, like, would this all have happened had Alicent not heard what she thought she heard when Viserys died. Absolutely. This still would have happened. And they would have mm -hmm. like, happening. so it would, it would still happen. That was just like a convenient, you know, like a convenient, like, Oh, like I knew I was right. But like, anyway, he like validated that for me. Um, so I still think that would have happened. I think it's an interesting, like within the house, tar within uh, the house Targaryen, they're trying to figure out who's like in the end group. Right. So like there's like this struggle over like who's like more Targaryen in that in that sense, which like the the whole the whole scene with like counting the well, they have seven dragons and we have 13. And I mean, one of their dragons is basically like a puppy. So like <laughs> it's not like all that helpful. But um, I think like there's this they all have this like overwhelming self sense of like, oh, we represent House Targaryen and like we're stronger than than them, whoever them may be. Um, but the weird thing about this is like there was the I think it was in the last two episodes, the the greens were wearing obviously wearing the House Targaryen like emblem because they're Targaryens. But it was like in the in the like uh, it was like visually in their like green get up. And I was like, that looks so wrong because they're like so used to seeing the, <laughs> the red and the black. And I was like, it's like they, they can't stomp on our ground. Um but there's also like the weird power dynamic that goes on in there because like I mentioned earlier, like Aegon, Allison's oldest son, Aegon, not uh, the other Aegon that's coming. Um, 
doesn't like when when they're in the carriage and they're trying to find him he's like i don't want basically says i don't want to be king and like so there's also like a weird power struggle going on there too that he's like he's like why are you looking for me like i don't i don't need to be king like i never wanted this and allison's like no you're gonna sit down you're gonna shut up you're gonna be king <laughs> um which is like another weird like power dynamic going on that like he was like oh, well this has been assigned to me and it's obvious very obvious to me that Aemon wants to be king and I can't well, wait to here's, see how here's that Here's the thing unfolds. about Aemon. Aemon wants to be king. We all know it. Aegon doesn't want to be king. He's not fit to be king. I, I'm sure that there's No, some... I think he wants to be king now. But like when they first were like, well, when Viserys yes. first died, he was like, I don't want this. But exactly. I think like now he's like, now he's like a power hungry Joffrey, right? He looked at, he, he had crazy in his eyes just like Joffrey did when he was holding the sword above the crowd, like. It was it was screaming Joffrey. <laughs> it's true. They it took that for him to realize what the power of the Iron Throne would really be. But I don't know why Aemond, who has who knew what this was from the very beginning, didn't just kill his brother when he had the chance. I was like, this is easy, and no one would be that upset. Like you 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 get rid of the two guys who were chasing him. Uh, you know, you get Kristen Cole or whatever. I can't remember which one he was chasing. But that's right. I don't I don't understand why. They weren't just like, this guy would be much more, I mean, I don't know if he'd be a good king necessarily. He seems kind of, you know, cunning in that way, but he'd be more <laughs> effective in that way. But I guess they have too much respect for like lineage and succession in that way. I, I honestly thought, because I, I have not read this book, so I honestly thought that when um, when Aemond was like on, went looking for his brother with Kristen Cole, I thought that Aemond's whole aim and that whole like, 10 15 minute scene was to kill Aegon. Yeah. Aegon. I agree. I mean but like he's okay, he's a, he's a bad dude, but I he's not that bad, I guess. Like he felt a little bad after he you know caused his nephew to be eaten by his dragon, right? His he nephew had that slash expression of like, cousin is No, it's just <laughs> right. well, yes, they are all related in multiple ways, but yeah. uh, <laughs> their most direct would be nephew, but he yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it would be. I think it would have been a little bit of a stretch if he just straight up murdered his brother for the throne. Like, also, he yeah, loves sure. his mom, right? There, like, yeah. mom would have been upset about that. Um, it would have been. I think it would have been a little out. Like, again, bad dude, but not. It w that would have been on the next level, just to like, just to straight up kill his older sure. brother. Yeah, um, we've got to get to like season three, maybe, before yeah. we just start jumping the shark like that. Yeah. Okay, but. The other per that th that reminds me of like when the other person that I definitely thought should have died right away was when Otto came to tell um, Rhaenyra that uh, Aegon was now king. I just well, I wanted I wanted Rhaenyra just to because the dragons like perched up on the little on the little bridge behind him. I was like I was like just blow him to bits. Come on. I mean, <laughs> but, if you kill the messengers, then you stop getting <laughs> messages, right? I think she had enough yeah, self awareness so. there. Like there's a long tradition in, uh, I read uh, Romance of the Kingdoms is a Chinese historical novel about the Warring States period in like 200 AD. And uh, the novel, it's actually a little bit like this because it's real history, but the novel is like written later and is biased towards one of the factions and then adds all these magical elements. But like they're always sending messengers and then you always, you get the messenger like, oh, screw you. And then you behead the messenger. I'm thinking like, <laughs> who would take this job? 
as like, oh yeah, I'll <laughs> deliver messages to the rival kingdom. Like, like the, the death rate of that is astronomical. <laughs> it's them being like, I think I could change him. Like, <laughs> maybe it'll work for us. <laughs> I think, you know. Well, I mean, I mean, guess, I guess technically, just Ceres. I get the two. Which one's the younger? Lucerus is the, is the R.I.P. The one who died. Sweet little boy. That's true. The one who died is yeah. Lucerus. Lucerus. Okay, so Lucerus is he, the older heir. Lucerus was technically a messenger. Yeah, and he died. Yeah. Well, he yeah, he was a messenger and not a warrior, and that's what makes it extra sad. Yeah. Okay, but the in terms of a visual aspect of the way that that whole scene was shot. With the shadow of the dragon above his little baby dragon, that was beautiful, like absolutely beautifully done. And I think it gave like it gave us good like scope, and also like there was enough nuance to that scene because like you were saying earlier that Damon or not Damon, Amond, um, all these names sound the same. <laughs> Amond was like what wasn't trying to kill his nephew; he was just trying to take his eye, or and he was like, "Oh, my bad," like he's dead now. And that was actually, that's another example of, of it being a little bit different from the source material in the way, because in the source material, it's just obviously no one was there to witness that. His body, the dragon's body and the kid, but like wash up on the shore of Storm's End the next day. And they, you know, everybody saw the dragon fly after him. So it's reported that Aemon straight up murdered uh, uh, Lucerus. Whereas in this interpretation, now we're, we're seeing it, we're seeing that well, I think he's still very much at fault. Um, it, you know, he, maybe it looks like he kind of lost control of Vagar and didn't quite mean for it to happen. But that's not something you would know if you're just, you know, reading the history. In the history of Westeros, it's written that Aemond chose violence, kicked off that war because he just did that. So that it's it's very interesting. In that well, way. it was also, it was answering to the foreshadowing from earlier because I think it was Viserys in like the first or second episode, uh, pretty early on, uh, the first, second or third episode made this comment about how like we have the dragons, but we don't control them. And it was like, um, it was like a, a kind of a throwaway line at the time. But then like now I already went back and watched it. And the it was like very clear that he was trying to say like, oh, sometimes, you know, we can't exactly control these huge beasts that like we're very fortunate and lucky to have and no one else has them. Um, and they just kind of go off the rails. Although, Technically, Lucerius Dragon started it, right? Because he's chasing him, and then Lucerius Dragon does a little fire fireball, and they're like, "Oh no, you're done for." We're already showing more of the many, many sins of the very end of the original series, Game of Thrones, is just having wildly different dragon rules from minute to minute. Like, <laughs> dragon's <laughs> invincible, no one can stop them. They shrug off arrows, they shrug off your stupid little um, stronger, um, I forget what the arbalist bolts or whatever they were, mm -hmm. yeah, in the one minute. Things. Then next minute, nope, easy to take them by surprise, easily killed by them. Then the next minute, no, we, we put them on every... Every plank in the city is armed to the teeth with these. Nope, can't hit it. Invincible, can't be stopped. It was just so frustrating. I mean, just so annoying. So now we're back to, no, it, it is, and Damon said it, I think, in this last episode, it's possible to kill a dragon. Very, 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 very difficult. But dragons, when they fight, they kill each other. And so those are the rules we're operating with. That makes sense. And cool. We mentioned earlier about the complete lack of care of the small folk in the world of Westeros and in King's Landing specifically that we got a bit of a a bit of a sneak peek at during the coronation is it just me 
I don't and I don't know if it would work. So I'm curious to kind of bounce this around with people because I think it would be really interesting. I would love a Downton Abbey style, you know, upstairs, downstairs or like a lower decks, at least even if it's just an episode, like we get a one off episode that is we follow one of the people that is in the midst of the Red Keep. You know, it's one of the people that has to like bring the tea to Rhaenyra or the cup boy, right? (laughs) Yeah, or the cup boy or uh, the the woman who's lighting the candles who sends the messages to uh, to the white worm. Like there's so many people, so many more people involved in the daily goings on that make the kind of banal events of a Regency drama really interesting and compelling. But we only get them from the really high perspective of the people who are specifically involved. And I I wanna know I wanna see those events from the perspective of someone who is not a member of one of these like landed gentry or something like that. So I'm curious about if you think that would work or if it would lose the kind of Game of Thrones quality of it. Um because you know so much of the series is about the like people vying for power um i i was i was just curious about that cuz i think it's a dynamic that is missing from the show that we only get very brief like sneak peeks of and they only become important for for small events but i think it's it's much more than that i i absolutely agree with that i i think it would be very useful um yes and to see more perspectives that are not among the royalty i mean some of the best moments of or sequences in game of thrones occasionally dealt with things like that i'm thinking of Arya and the hounds um explorations through the riverlands where they really see firsthand the devastation these this dynastic war has caused they interact with uh, with people who you know are, are are living through hell over it, um, and and in the uh, in the books in Game of Thrones, occasionally they'll introduce a usually a one off perspective. Oftentimes, it's the it starts the book or it ends the book of just, of some other character, maybe some character of insignificance who has some who interacts in a very interesting way. One of my favorites, and it's not it was not duplicated in the show at all, is this character in Old Town um, who is studying to be a maester and like failing at it. And he's like getting drunk with his friends at the bar. And you see you see like edges of other characters there. Like it seems that one of his bar drinking buddies is actually one of the sand snakes impersonating a, a male to study at the. And then he the, the, the resolution of that story, he interacts with someone who's like who needs something from him, and it very much seems like that person is probably Jack and Hagar, the uh, the the face change. But it's not confirmed. You don't know. It's just hinted at, and then that's never revisited until very. And then later, like chapters and chapters later, Sam sees that character, and there's some some indication that that character has been replaced by Jack and Hagar. And it's so uh, cool. It's wow. so cool because it's not. You just you have to really read between the lines on it. It's just a theory people have. Um, so I, I would love, I would love more of that. The, the, the goings on at the, at the red game. And we did get a little bit of that in the, right. It was hinted at, I guess, in the, mm-hmm. the greens episode where you have the, the, the cup boy reporting to the maid reporting to et cetera. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, We're I, missing I, that perspective a little bit. I guess all we really got was like the, when we're looking for Aegon, like we're going through the streets a little bit more and we like did that, like there was like the brief child fighting scene. Yeah, which was like 
also kind of odd. And then it was, yeah, I, uh, it was very confusing because I thought I kept telling Robbie, I was like, oh, like, I think they're going to play into more the fact that like Aegon has a bunch of bastards, which like they were already hinting at because they were showing all the like blonde children that are now child fighters. Um, But that was more to just like evoke that he's like crazy and doesn't give a crap about anything and whatever. But I guess I'm thinking about it like from a perspective. So like if you had if we got the perspective of like um, like a local person at the coronation, right? So they're being like, they they had, the way they did it is they had like Rhaenys being right. like shoveled in instead of us seeing it as like a town folk. So we're seeing like Rhaenys being shoveled in because she gets separated from, um, oh my gosh, what is that guy's name? She gets separated from one so of her Sir guards. Eric? Yeah. yeah. Eric, yeah, yeah. Um, so she gets separated from Sir Eric and then she's being like shuffled in and like obviously she can tell like something is wrong. Um, and then we see like that whole scene from her perspective also because then she like comes to the floor with her dragon. But could you imagine if we like followed someone else in that like in that shuffle being like very like, you know, whether it's like a shop, uh, shop owner, brothel person, whatever. And like they're getting they're getting shoved down this place. I have no idea why. Um, and then like. The, it gets disrupted by a dragon coming through the coming yeah. through the floor and like, just disrupted like, uh, people killed you would that died. would be like yeah you survived a, that's like the day you went to the boston marathon or something and then exactly. like, a massacre happened right that would be your memory of it yeah and also like and then you would you would assume that like if if these are just like laymen not understanding like all the dynamics that are going on within the targaryen family you would assume then that that person whoever we're getting from that perspective would see rainis as like a terrorist Right. Because she like came like and killed all these people during a coronation of a king. Um, So like that is like a completely different dynamic. I mean, I don't get me along. I love I, I really like Rhaenys, um, but I do recognize that she, you know, slaughtered a bunch of people um, by doing that. But she like I think getting it from that perspective would have been interesting, even if it was like a 10 minute bit. Right. When like Rhaenys was like supposed to be getting her dragon or whatever. And then we like cut back to it. Um, but yeah, I do think that element is listening, missing a little bit. But the, the um, common folk not liking the dragons necessarily is something to watch for and pay attention as the as the show yeah. develops. Then which I also think I think yeah, I think it was also like maybe there wasn't really enough time in this first season to get more like of get more perspectives like that, partially because of the time jump, which I do I do think the time jump was executed pretty well considering you changed like almost all the major cast members you we had like babies going to like mid teenage years um so i think i think it was executed well so it had it did get like a a decent amount of criticism online for being like a little like chunky and like why did you why didn't you just start there instead of doing the time jump but i honestly appreciated the forward like the was that first five episodes right i Mm -hmm. think it was five five or six Um, that were before the time jump, partially just because I loved, um, oh my gosh, it's not Emma, D- it, is it DRC? Millie who's Alcock the first one? is the younger yes. one. Yeah. Yes. I, I love that yeah. actress and she, she did a fantastic job. She was really, um, really great. I mean, so, so did, so did DRC. So they, the, that transition was very good, but I do think they gave themselves a bit of a challenge doing a time jump like that. Um, but I, I mean, I think they executed it well. I don't know. Some people were angry online about it. I thought it was great. I thought it was great. There were some times where I was like, why did this person get recast, but this person didn't? 
I, it, it Sir was, Christian Cole know, has not aged. I want to get on Sir Christian's uh, skincare routine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, whatever he's got, sign me up. I will. Uh, I will do it. I guess just being angry for twenty years is a, is a skincare. Yeah, but then you would have wrinkles. Feeling spurned for years. But I guess he just has to contain his anger for th- it's 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 the fact that he's a knight and has to just look so stoic all the time. Probably yeah. that's probably what yeah. it is. The time jumps were necessary, right? If you're if you're going to be this faithful to the source material as it, I think it was appropriate to be, and we've we've seen that being faithful to George R. R. Martin's vision is actually a good thing. Um, you had to the, the there were there are so many kids, and if you were going to keep all of those kids every single one of them, not consolidate any of them. You could see how without George R. R. Martin, the Benioff, Weiss, the people who did Game of Thrones, they, they would have consolidated some of those children. If we're going to have all of them and we're going to, and we want to communicate to the audience who's who's and, you know, that Rhaenyra and Damon are both married to different people, are, are married to different people who are, who are siblings and then married to each other, like to fully understand that and not be confused, you had to do it this way. Like if you had just dropped us all into episode eight, which is after the last time jump, we'd be like, why do we care about these kids? Wait, who are, why are they? It wouldn't have made any sense. So I think given their commitment to telling the story as it actually is, it was necessary and it was handled, it was executed pretty well. And then you also get to see the development of these people's motives, which is so much of what's interesting about the show is them coming to, and and I was really struck Game of Thrones was always exciting and interesting, and I liked the sort of the the twists, and you're always wondering what's going to happen. But there were only a few, like, handful of times where I was like and, – and this might be just me. There might be other people that feel differently, but I was, like, emotionally invested in characters where I was like, wow, I'm really feeling something right now other than, a you know, a handful of times. But there were multiple times, even for – you know, Viserys, um, you know, from the beginning, by the time they're having that dinner in episode eight and he is like demanding that everyone sit around and just like be cordial for this dinner and it's so tense. It was such – it was a very emotional moment for him to see them start tense and then begin to relax and unwind and you can tell there's like all of this tension that like – he begins to sort of release and it was really what was holding him together. And that at the end of that dinner is when he begins his like descent and and begins to die effectively. And it was a very, very emotional moment where you had seen years of this man's life build up to this and all of the hidden feelings and the dramatic irony of some people know things that others don't and the hidden motivations all came to a head. Um, and if you had just dropped in uh, at, at that moment without any of that context, it would have been so sorely lacking, which to me makes it seem like you could pick almost any period in Westeros and with sufficient time and exploration – you could probably make a compelling story. Um, you know, R- uh, Princess Rhaenys, her entire like fight for the the Iron Throne when she wanted to be on it rather than Viserys. We could follow her instead of Rhaenyra, and you know, from the beginning of her story, and that would be just as interesting if you know, given the time and had the the story been written for that. So I think it really is just a testament to the. Uh, 
careful hand of the writing uh, that if followed, like Robbie was saying, if if you really follow George R. R. Martin's vision, you're going to understand the spirit of what makes these stories compelling rather than try and turn it into something that it isn't, which is what happened with the original series. That scene was also fantastic because it was it was so relatable. Right. Because like, like we were talking about like everyone online was talking about like, oh, this is like what Thanksgiving dinner is like. Right. Like Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) after the 2016 election. They just did it the Game of Thrones style. Um, But like that that was like that was one of the better uh, one of the best scenes because of it's like it was so relatable. And then like all the all of the children standing up and like giving their little quips about each other. Like like, um, oh, my gosh, the the girl that's married to Aegon who is obsessed with bugs yeah um where she stands up and talks yes she she does prophecies she stands up and talks about how marriage is terrible and like like there are so many (laughs) things like that you're like wow this is just like this is they like there are little like jokes in there like just for us to make it relatable and because everyone like I feel like everyone's like been at a dinner that's like that like not to that extreme obviously but been to like at like a like that has just like those elements. So I think that was one of the one of the best scenes, especially in the last like few episodes that didn't involve dragons, of course, because all those scenes get get uh, amped in my in my mind. Wait, we didn't talk about the the feet picks yet. Oh, OK. OK. <laughs> if you want to talk about feet, Natalie, be my guest. He killed a lot of people for the for just to look. For Just feet to look. It's wait, Robbie. I never. I don't think I asked you this. Is that is that what, how it went down in the book too? No, I guess so. Sir Laris's loyalty to Alicent and the Greens is mysterious in the source material. It's not clear <laughs> why he is so uh, so much on Alicent's side, given that his entire house, which we now, which we only know in the television series, he had murdered was uh, more closely associated with Rhaenyra. And in fact, Rhaenyra's children are her, are his brother, his older brother's children. Um, so no, they, they, uh, he is, he has, <laughs> like, he has the, the foot, the, his own foot thing is from the source material that he is, uh, he's a uh, club footed and, um, and is resentful over it. That is part of the source material, but. Um, and yeah, uh, nope. I, no problem. If that's your thing, that's fine with me. That's that's totally fine. But he killed so many people, like Ravi said, just to look. That's that's that whole scene. I think everyone like watching had like a collective like, are you are you kidding me right now? Like when that then that first scene where like Allison's like head is looking at the camera and he's like just staring at her feet. It and like, I it really did take me by hell? surprise. I was I, I was like, I what is him, this guy? I would have liked but... one more. I would have liked a scene between him and his father, who he also killed in mm. the fire, right? It, to right. better explain their dynamic, because I didn't, I didn't quite, man, he's an evil character. I didn't quite buy <laughs> the level of evil he was doing, given, I, I, you know, if he, because his dad seemed like a nice guy. His brother was great. Like, his was brother re- was like a cool guy. I was like, I this is so nice. Yes, it was a it was a lot. I would have liked a little bit more there. That and the crab people were about the only things I thought that were a slightly underbaked. Sorry, crabs don't crabs don't eat people. They'll eat, they'll pick at dead bodies, but if you set a crab on someone who's still like squirming, the crab is going to run away. I'm sorry to like 
shatter everyone's thinking on how <laughs> crab physics works. But, but yeah. <laughs> crabs are not zombies. They don't like <laughs> feast on the flesh of still living. Well, people. in the stepstone, <laughs> I guess they have zombie crabs in the stepstones. Well, there are zombies. Yeah, well, I so guess who knows? The crab feeder Laris's like arc was a little rushed, also because like in part of in part of like the fire stuff with Laris and like he has like the people that were imprisoned that he like took out their tongues like they're now like his little like right like yeah his that's what they get caught they can't say who did it i guess right um, Got it. um and then there was also like in that same like general spew of scenes was like when he set uh, supposedly him or his uh people that carry out bad things for him um set fire to uh, that other white, place that was yeah, that, that, was that the white be, worms place. The white the, it worm? was not that was not executed quite perfectly because we were a little yeah. confused about what it was. That was right. That was the white worms residence. So I guess that was him getting rid of the rival spy network. Um, but of course, we did not see her die. So given that we didn't see that, I, I think everyone can reasonably expect that she survives that. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. That whole like I understand him setting fire to his house and like killing his brother and his dad. Like, that all made sense. And then we, like, jumped to the fire at the White Worm, and I was like, wait, is this, like, the same? Um, also because, like, in that shot, there's, like, a guy, a hooded guy walking normally away from the fire, which, like, is presumably the guy that did it. Um, and I was like, wait, but that can't be hilarious because he's not he's not limping. Right. Um, so it's a little, yeah. Tongueless little it's tongueless fire people. starters, I guess. I mean, buildings are very, very easy to set fire to in medieval times. Though, yeah, a lot, well, but it's also like they looked like stone. Yeah, was the I thing. Mean, they should look like, like stone. <laughs> 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 should have been a wooden building, but uh. yeah. Also, they must have run out of budget for, uh, with casting for the crab, the crab feeder or whatever, because they've got this like awesome makeup for him and this mask, and he's like a very imposing character. Not a line of dialogue. Yeah, <laughs> he can, you could tell. I they, hope they work. They, I hope they put a little bit more thought into battles in the in the future. Yes, um, like people. I guess people have treated Game of Thrones like it was really good on this front. I've actually like always had a lot of issues with some of the way their battles are laid out. Not all of their battle. Um, the the uh, the um, Blackwater battle from uh, season two of Game of Thrones when Sanus attacks the city. Great. Yes. Um, I, I I was more underwhelmed by the Battle of the Bastards than some other people, I guess. But uh, the crab feeder battle made no. I, I did not believe that they had two dragons. I did not believe that they couldn't just shoot fire into that cave forever until they were all dead. And the archers don't really. Do, they have two dragons. Yeah. They can, and then Damon it, comes out and he's like, "I'm going to wave a white flag, but then I'm not. And then I'm going to charge at this thing." None of these archers have any aim. He's just diving for cover, like it's like it's a video game, and then like sneaking through. It was it was. Yeah, I, I, I hope they, given that there are a whole lot of battles with and without dragons to come, I hope they put a little bit uh, more thought into some of those. Or I mean, I guess don't show them if they're going to be that ridiculous, but. Okay, before we before we finish up, Robbie can't answer this question because he knows what happens. Uh, how many episodes do you think does uh, Aegon survive in the next season, Landry? Oh, uh, how many episodes do I think? Yeah, how survive? far does he make it through next season? Uh, or who do you think the first person to die is going to be of the like main cast? I, what's even the point in guessing? Because you're just sentencing everyone to die i mean at, at a certain point other than you know a handful i think well is corliss dead 
No, Corlin. He's got to die. Yeah, no, he's got to die. No, he's too old. He's got to die. Okay. <laughs> well, I won't say anything. Well, who, yeah, who do you yeah. think, Natalie? I think I think Aegon is going to last maybe three episodes of the next season. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the first person I think that's going to die next is... Um, I do know the answer to this question, so I can't. Yeah, this is like, that's why I said you cannot uh, answer. This person, um, then this person, then this. Honestly, I think Otto. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. I will say just that the without absolutely without giving anything away, the the amount of of death. Um, again, given that we're going to be very, it's clear we're going to be very loyal to the source material. Um, I unlike Game of Thrones, where some characters are alive when they're dead, or some characters are dead when they're alive. Um, like, I mean, in the point that Game of Thrones is in, like, Stannis is still alive. Cerberusan is still alive. It's, it's just very different um, things. That's clearly not going to happen with House of the Dragon. We're telling a very faithful to the source material, you know, with, with the room for creative, because it's not, we don't know exactly how necessarily all things happen. But so I, I'm assuming that all the characters that die are pretty much going to die pretty much on pace with the source material. It's going to be interesting to have them have their be happy times, <laughs> not just be a relentless, <laughs> brutal um, slog or just like, I mean, I, I would say the fifth season of Game of Thrones was almost too depressing at times. Um, I, I think that was particularly pronounced in the fifth season when um, uh, I, the, the whole burning of Stannis's daughter, I really just, desp- I, yeah. I liked Stannis yeah. a lot in the source material. Um it's not that clear was hard at to all watch. that will happen in the, that has not happened yet in the books, and it, it doesn't. The Stannis is written somewhat differently, and it, that doesn't seem like something he would do. It seems like maybe something Melisandre would do, like behind his back. But um, anyway, that was things got really, and that's what. And then Arya is, brutally kills the one Kingsguard guy, and Jaime kind of rapes Cersei, and Sansa's with Ramsay, and it was just like an orgy of like the most like gruesomely dark violent. parts of the show. Um, that was almost it was bo- starting to become like just unfun to watch like you needed yeah. like a pick me up after so yeah. uh, good luck to them not doing that again given a lot of the choices there that are not going to be really choices <laughs> given what happens with the source material well we'll see if we can brighten it up in the probably two and a half years it'll be until we get <laughs> yeah. to see house of the dragon season two so who knows? <laughs> we'll have a new president by then, at this point. Oh Who knows God. at that point? Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll think about that, that. We'll see if that coronation is, uh, <laughs> is contested. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, the best way to keep in touch with us and get more Pop and Lock content is to follow us on Twitter. You can find us at the handle at Pop and Lock Pod. That's Pop, the letter N, Lock with an E, like the philosopher, Pod. Make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We look forward to unraveling your favorite show or movie next time.